Hi, this is Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of A to Z of Detoxing, the ultimate guide to reducing our toxic exposures, and host of this practical non-toxic living podcast. Welcome. When I was young, my mother advised me to never talk about money. She explained that money, especially if you have more than others, can change relationships and how people interact with you. I have spent the rest of my life observing when this is true. As a social entrepreneur who works to help others, I struggle with how much to charge for my work. Since my main goals are to help others, especially parents, children, the unborn, and the chronically sick, many parts of me want to work for free. But then there are practical benefits from charging more for my work, like being able to help more people and even to help myself to more self-care. I know that many of you also have this dilemma. That's why this podcast is so important. Sorry, Mom, I'm talking about money. I asked a beloved healer, Deborah Hannikamp, who is founder of Space by Mama Medicine and author of the beautiful book, Ritual Baths, Be Your Own Healer, about her perspectives on money. Who better for me to talk to about my issues with money than a healer who is successful no matter how you define success? This conversation, which was recorded in my home in May 2019, was especially meaningful to me because I have gotten to know Deborah as a really special person. She is the real deal. In this podcast, some topics we cover include how to think about charging money for your services, which can be especially challenging for those whose services are very integrated with their heart and soul. We also talk about what Deborah learned about how much money to charge or request from running her own yoga studio, that how much you charge is an energetic exchange. We hear about her time period of wanting to do anything but energy work, and also her financial background and her odd jobs, which included babysitting, bartending, and detailing cars. I loved hearing about her hustle. We also talk about being workaholics and her perspectives on the evolution of wellness trends. You'll also hear great advice for parents on the value of providing children with the opportunity to experience how good it feels to do things themselves. You can actually listen to the very first time I met and spoke to Deborah in episode 11 of the Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast. You'll hear me have my first ever conversation with someone who sees spirits and people's auras, which are colors that we emanate. I was spooked at first, but I left the conversation with so many fun, liberating, and soothing ideas to consider. And if you check out the podcast show notes at www.nontoxicliving.tips, you'll see a video of the second time I saw Deborah, which is when she agreed to conduct opening and closing ceremonies for my Innovators of Wellness event in Manhattan a few years ago in the late Zaha Hadid's first and only residential building in Manhattan. Before we get started, though, I must highly recommend my new workbooks, One is called Home Detox Workbook, Checklist to Eliminate Toxic Chemicals, and the second is titled EMF Detox Workbook, Checklist to Recover from Electromagnetic Exposure. They were designed to enhance their online offerings that are offered together as the Essential Detox, 
which includes the online home detox and EMF detox counterparts, as well as an online Q&A forum and a Detox 101 intro. These workbooks, however, are extremely helpful without their online enhancements, since I know many people are zoomed out. They simplify detoxing chemicals, heavy metals, and EMFs from what you buy, own, and do while protecting your joy and convenience. Check them out on Amazon. Also, I want to thank my brilliant podcast producer, Chris Robertson, for elevating the Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast. Now on with the podcast, and my apologies on behalf of my family's dog, Lola, who you'll hear briefly in the beginning as she breathes into the microphone and chews on her bone. For a few months now, I've been more curious about money. I never mm-hmm. really thought much about it. Mm-hmm. It's something I, I never aspired to make a lot. I mean, enough. Mm-hmm to feel safe, like I could live in a safe neighborhood and yeah. enjoy some nice restaurants everyone's going to, but I wasn't particularly attached to money. I like to um, be thoughtful about it. Being someone who wants to help people and thinking about how much to charge for things for my time and time that's taken away from other things that maybe can help more people, I think a lot about money. Mm-hmm. And I remember a few months ago, I was online, and for some reason I stumbled across a video of you speaking at an event. I don't remember which event. Mm -hmm. And it was funny timing because you talked about money Mm -hmm. being energy. And you you said something like, I know energy. I'm going to befriend energy this year and get to know it. And I loved that. And so I wanted to talk to you more about your thoughts and feelings about money and money as energy and the complex reactions and attachments or fears we have with money. I think I should start from a little bit of my personal financial story too. So I grew up middle class and then when I was in my early teenage years, a lot of the dynamic changed in my family and it put me on my own financially when I was 17. And so the idea of like going to university, that was always like something that would obviously happen. And then when it was time for me to actually go, my parents were like, good luck, (laughs) you know? And, but because like on the records my parents had historically made too much money I couldn't get financial aid or something like that so it put me in a very interesting place where you know at 17 I was living in a three-bedroom apartment in a very bad neighborhood with two other roommates and I had four jobs like I would leave one bartending job where the bar closed at two and go to my next bartending job which was at an after hours club from 2 30 till 10 a.m in the morning and then I would go to community college and that was my life for a little bit and throughout all of it though was happy with what I had and like grateful for what I had but never really thought that I could actually like change the game or amount to more because I knew that I just wanted to like help people and it didn't really feel right to take money for helping people or it wasn't all fully formed yet. Did you feel like 
if you're really helping people, you shouldn't be paid a lot of money for it. Yeah. Because yeah. there's something pure about that, right? There isn't, there isn't, though. Because I, you know, in hindsight, when I'm reflecting on it, it is a little, it's a little bit of, like, what I call healer ego that does that. And I, I'm using ego in the term that the ego wants to keep us small. And we have to realize that, like, if we really want to help people, we have to go into a place where we can reach more people, but we need to have energy to do that. And that energy has to come from somewhere. So to have energy, you know, you need to be rested, you need to be fed, you need to have shelter. And all of these things actually take money, like time is money and so I had to like really acknowledge that that really came apparent to me when I had my yoga studio and healing center so I had just in your 20s yeah I was in my early 20s and I I saved up money to open it it was like a really big deal that I was able to do this and how old were you when you start earning money for healing work no bartending or yeah 17 17 well I my like, did you babysit when you were yeah young? <laughs> yeah I've always been working yeah it I, seems like I it. got I mean I was babysitting I was um, detailing cars at my dad's shop uh, oh, wow. and then when I was fifteen I got my first real job which was hostessing at a Chinese food restaurant wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> did you learn any Chinese <laughs> yeah I did. <laughs> Ni what is that? Ni hao. Ni hao. Ni hao. Hello. 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 How are yeah, you? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. all I got. That's all I need to know. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so 17 was like, okay, I really have to make money to survive. So by the time I was 24, it was like a lot of building into that. I opened my yoga studio and healing center and I only did by donation for the yoga because of that whole, like, everyone should just be able to go do yoga, which is true. But the thing is, like, there's rent to pay. There's teachers to pay. There's insurance to pay. There's electricity bills to pay. And that's not going to come from people paying a dollar for a class. And yet the, the space itself offered so much to the community and, and to the area and to the people who got to come. And then the people who would come would feel the energy from the place and then they would go out into their community and share that energy. And so I didn't realize that like by having that energy exchange, there were two things happening. One is that when you actually pay for something, like you, you pay $15, you get a yoga class, you're going to appreciate the yoga class more. You're going to take it more seriously. You're going to check like your alignment in it and all of that, right? But if you don't actually pay for it, you'll probably leave early. You'll be like messing around with stuff and fidgeting while you're in there and you won't take it as seriously. So that was one thing I noticed. Like not only with the by donation thing was the yoga itself being taken less seriously, but I noticed people weren't taking care of their bodies and they also were very disrespectful to the space. And as soon as I changed it from suggested donation, that word, to requested donation, the energy changed. So oh. instead of like suggesting that you should 
donate $10 for the class. I request that you donate $10 for the class and then the energy. Already there was more respect coming in and this like common exchange of respect from the teachers to the students as well. And then, then I changed it completely to more of like a modern yoga studio style because still at requested donation, it really wasn't enough to like get pay the rent and all of that on the space. So I don't know if you know this, but mm-hmm. when it was a suggested donation, do you remember approximately what portion of your students donated and how much that may have changed when you evolved it to request a donation. Yeah, so even at suggested, pretty much everybody would donate, but it would be like 50 cents or a dollar. If somebody would donate five dollars, that would be like a really big donation, you know? (laughs) And then when I changed it to requested, it was just kind of what people donated. It would just that number would be what people would donate. So it was a very strong shift. But there was still a lot of people coming in and not wanting to pay and all of that, which is great. But then I also have to think of all the employees I have to take care of too. And how if I don't take money from the people coming to receive the service, I can't pay the people offering the service. Very like business 101, you know? And so right around then is when I started to understand money as energy, actually, Mm -hmm. and that money is just an energy exchange. You know, I give you my time, my love, my clean yoga mats and pristine studio and this beautiful healing center where I offer you Reiki treatments. And the easiest form of energy exchange is for you to give me money in return. If you don't have money, you can do a work study you can you can help me out around the space and then in exchange for that you can take classes and receive healing and all of that that was also always an option right um but i i feel i still even at that time had a lot to heal financially for myself because they're they're in the wellness space it's a very convoluted relationship to money I feel like mm-hmm. and and back then it was just the same as it is now now it's just there's more Amped of it. Up. yeah <laughs> but it was still like can you mm. talk more about what that means okay well if I'm being really honest and like a little gritty I feel like there's a lot of entitlement in the wellness space in the providers yeah I guess, for for example, if I would be training somebody in healing work, this is back then, I don't really do that too much anymore, they would complete maybe, I don't know, six months of training with me, yet I had been doing this work for that time, I don't know, like seven years, something like that, right? So it's six months versus seven years. They would complete that, though, and then they would want to be paid the same as and charged the same as what I was being paid like there's no real thought to experience Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's very amplified now too like I do feel we all have such beautiful wisdom in us everyone and we all have so much to give but I do think when you are a provider of a wellness service you have to take into consideration the amount of years and dedication and experience you truly have and then 
scale what you're charging to that. But in our wellness culture now, it's a lot of like, okay, I learned this, I get it, I understand it, and I need to make this my new business because I don't want to do the business I was doing anymore, and so I need to make a lot of money doing this, and so I'm going to charge this like kind of outrageous rate for it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think there's a lot of entitlement there. From what I hear from friends in other industries, finance Mm -hmm. and tech, it's maybe a generational thing mm. where the younger generations don't really know what the older generations went through to get to where they are. And they mm. just expect like immediate elevation to the same sort of perks or entitlements. Mm-hmm. I hear that often. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. It would also occur in wellness. Yeah. So you've witnessed a big growth or big evolution in the wellness industry yeah including a lot of venture capital money yeah what's your perspective on how it's changed well i'm really all for it like i really am actually very happy that wellness has gone more mainstream that meditation has gone more mainstream i feel like people really need it you know people need to know that they can eat healthy, that they can live in a truly clean home, that they can make peace with their bodies. So even though like sometimes you, you look at some of the stuff that's out there and it's like, oh, it's it's a bit redundant and things like that, to me it's like, well, good, because the message is really getting out there. And not only is it getting out there, but then it's being more and more received by the masses. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like... That really gives me hope for the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've come to appreciate how there's so many different storytellers of different aspects of wellness. So, mm-hmm. for example, you were the first person to open me to auras and spirits and more to energy. Because yeah. our first podcast recording, I wasn't expecting the topic of spirits to come. Right, up. we really jumped <laughs> in that one. <laughs> and you, and while we were recording, I was thinking, parts of me were thinking, "Oh my God, is this going to be spooky to mm-hmm. people listening? And mm-hmm. how am I going to um, create this to be more palatable so people like listen to more of it?" And it, I think I, I spent a year listening and thinking like how do I introduce it and frame it and as I kept doing that I never got tired of listening and re-listening and it just opened me up to a whole new world and but because of how you tell your story and how you do what you do in a beautiful way visually and through sensory experiences it tapped an untapped market, me and others. So Mm -hmm. I think the more wellness can empower more is to share their experiences in their way, the more you spread wellness. Mm -hmm. Definitely. How long before you felt like as an entrepreneur and maybe separately or earlier as a healer, before you figured out, this is me, this is, because it takes a while. It's a journey, I think, because mm. you're learning. Like you started out, I don't know if this was your start, but at some point you had this yoga studio, mm-hmm. you were a yoga teacher, then you had a yoga studio, and you went on 
to explore and learn other things. Mm -hmm. And now you're in a space that's so uniquely you. Mm -hmm. Was it, did you not feel that you were finally, you hit your stride? Did you not feel it until Mama Medicine? Slightly before, I would say I didn't feel it completely until I let that yoga studio and healing center go, um, which I closed it completely in 2012. And at the same time, I was pregnant with my daughter. And that's when it really started formulating that I had to be truly honest with myself on exactly how I wanted to show up in the world. And that, um, like, a practice like yoga or meditation or um, even, like, working with herbs and making tinctures and things like that, that that very much feels like I want it to be mine and I want it to nourish me. And then what I can show up in the world as is an example to others to be their own healer. Mm -hmm. And that's... So first came medicine readings Mm -hmm. because really... So the medicine readings come while you still have the yoga studio? Yeah, I so the upstairs of the yoga studio was yoga. The downstairs was a whole healing center. So mm. there was like massage and acupuncture. There was esthetician and a steam room. There was like a fire pit in the backyard. Wow. This is in Brooklyn. Um, and then I was doing Reiki, like a combination of Reiki and spiritual counseling. Mm-hmm. But I started incorporating so much of what I was learning in Thailand with sound healing and crystal healing um, and like so much of what I was learning in Peru with the Icaros medicine songs that I was learning there so it all started like flowing into something that you really couldn't in all honesty call Reiki Mm -hmm. and spiritual counseling it, it can be like a very vague description mm-hmm. of things. So it could be anything. Like I, you, with spiritual counseling, we could be talking about like the future. We could be talking about past lives. It could be anything. Right. And so I was like, well, what am I really wanting to show people? It's their, their own medicine. Mm-hmm. So it's like a reading of your own medicine. It's mm-hmm. a medicine reading, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So first was medicine readings, and then... Mama Medicine came around in, I think, 2015. So did getting pregnant contribute to you wondering how do I want to show up? Yes. Be in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm currently, like, having a little research project of my own. I say I'm currently pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I'm good. (laughs) Um, I'm currently having a little research project with looking into my ancestors Mm -hmm. to why, like, I carry different habits and patterns. And so one of the things that I'm looking into is, like, really battling being a workaholic. Like, my father very much is as well so at that time when I got pregnant I was working 12 hour days Mm -hmm. I was working six days a week Mm -hmm. and I have kind of crazy amount of energy like I know I seem really like calm and peaceful but I I have well you've been working since you were young yeah working hard since you're working hard and like 
and and nonstop and like I can work super long days and yeah. sleep for just a little bit and then wake up the next morning and work. But yeah. I when I was pregnant, I was like, okay, but I know that nothing is gonna matter more to me than this little girl. Yeah, you know, and so let me figure out how I can spend the most amount of time with her yet still work and do what I love yeah. and so I narrowed everything down like yoga felt a little chaotic to me at that point having like a big operation with all these employees that just felt like a big energy drain to me so yeah. that didn't feel right and the one thing that was left that really felt right was the spiritual counseling and healing session mm -hmm. that eventually evolved into medicine reading so I was like that's it that's all I'm gonna do is this yeah. and even after she was born I did my first uh, session of what is now called the medicine reading like 10 days after she was born wow. and it was very organic people would come to a room I had set up in my house specifically for that purpose and then it built up to where it didn't really feel right for having people come to the house. So I just started renting places kind of all over the city. Mm -hmm. And then that organically evolved into hmm, renting places. It feels a little bit draining. I feel tired when I'm in rooms that have other work happening in them. Yeah. So let me see about getting my own place. And so one thing built into another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were always following what fed your energy. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine starting medicine readings when you did. It's such a novel, I mean, it is unique. Mm -hmm. How How is the response? Like, did you, your first medicine reading, how many people came? Like, when I actually said this is medicine readings? Yeah. So I got, and I'm sorry to sound really woo-woo here, but I'm just going to go for it. I got this whole, like, download from the universe. You are going to be offering something called medicine readings. This is the exact formula for it. This, it's a one-on-one -on -one experience. It's a group experience, and it's a retreat. And I said, okay. And I went, I walked into the place that I was renting a room out of, and at the same time, the New York Times was there. And they were like, who are you? And one of, one of the girls there loved me. And she was like, you have to, you have to meet Deborah to the New York Times reporter. And they were like, what, what are you doing? You know, they saw like my instruments. They were like, what are you doing? And they ended up photographing me and interviewing me on the first day that I went to offer. It's meant to be. It actually called medicine readings. Yeah. And it just was such a massive jump off point from there plus I already had a really substantial following at that point because I had been in Williamsburg working for so long I already had like quite a name built up in the wellness space too mm -hmm. so it was like the combination of the two things mm -hmm. yeah I love that you brought up being a workaholic I thought a lot about my relationship to work mm -hmm. and why I work so much. I still continue to think about it a lot. 
as a mother to three girls, you know, why am I not with them more? Why am I working so hard? Mm -hmm. um, that's what I thought a lot more about before money <laughs> started to take more of my thoughts. Yeah. But um, I just keep, you know, I spend a lot of time questioning what what's a healthy drive for work, what's a healthy balance, and um, just always wondering what might not be healthy. Mm -hmm. Did you ever wonder about that? Mm-hmm. I, I think, actually, like, it's still something I'm, I'm doing a lot of introspection mm -hmm. about. I know that anything becomes unhealthy when you are approaching it from a place of fear mm -hmm. and from a place of need. Mm -hmm. And so, like, for me, it's, it's been historically, and I'll say up until now, because it doesn't have to be from now forward, right? Mm -hmm. That if I'm doing very well in my business or I'm making good money or something like that, I'm waiting also for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I experience success or historically have experienced su success, I will take that as a cue to just keep working harder because something bad might happen. So, you know, I might go back into um, places that, that were, were very, very difficult financially, you know? And I now have been doing a lot of work on myself to kind of do some self-healing and be like, it's okay, you're okay, you've worked hard for this, you deserve this you're doing good work in the world with this. It's the energy that you've put out is coming back to you. And that has helped me to really minimize my working hours, first of all. So now I'm only working when my daughter is at school. Mm -hmm. You know, if she has a day off of school, I have a day off of work. Mm -hmm. Like I, because to me, it's, spending time with her is like just more important than anything you know and I do have to travel sometimes or I do have to like go to a evening or weekend speaking event so I have to have my day-to-day -day schedule set up so I can spend the most time with her as possible right like it's what we want to do um, and Actually, having her in my life has been very, very grounding in that way. Yeah. My husband as well, he, he has a very kind of much more like calm, take things as they come approach to life, mm -hmm. which is very grounding mm -hmm. too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It seems like your work is not, not so related to the internet because you have medicine readings and you do events so you're you work with people mm -hmm. in in real life and I write a lot so it just feels like no one is telling me okay office hours are closed mm -hmm. it really could go on 24 7 it really could yeah yeah and it's been really hard and I think it's true for a lot more people since there are a lot more freelancers than ever and a lot more people working from home it's hard to just to draw boundaries mm -hmm. and know when enough is enough when you can always do more mm -hmm. so it's an interesting struggle now um, going back to money
When I was young, my father would say, you know, there's a Chinese saying that wealth only lasts three generations because money, a lot of money, it does have power. And it led me to wonder, there's so many different connections people have with money. Do you have any thoughts on how our shadows are connected to money? Because I feel like in many people, there is a connection. I think that we have to be really careful of money becoming a superpower in our life or even like a deity in a way. Mm-hmm. And whether you whether you have it or don't have it, right? Like really understanding that just like if you go for a run, it'll give you energy. Like if you work a little bit it'll give you also the energy of money like it's just it's just an energy it flows in it flows out it it comes when you need it and it goes when you have really strong lessons to learn i feel like we we live in a very aspirational world Mm -hmm. and there's always more that you could have there's always like more that you could acquire but I think it's really important to look at the energetic exchange that you are willing to give up for what it is you want to acquire Mm -hmm. and like what you would be willing to do for that more money and and things like that right Mm -hmm. but what you're talking about with the children that are raised with a lot of privilege in that mm-hmm. sense. I feel like for them, it's just important that they know how good it feels to roll up your sleeves mm-hmm. and do manual labor mm-hmm. on something. Yeah. Like how good it feels to see a wall that needs to be painted and paint it yourself or see a campfire that needs to be built and chop the wood and build the fire yourself and then feel the warmth of that fire Mm -hmm. rather than just having everything done for you because you can pay for it because yes you can have everything done for you because you can pay for it but you, you miss a lot of the confidence building rewards that come from doing things yourself yeah yeah I was wondering when you were speaking earlier about your path, your first medicine reading and the choices you made and why, and then the New York Times reporter discovering you and wanting more coverage of you. Do you, do you believe in coincidences? No, definitely not. I feel like I was ready for that to happen finally. At that point, I had been evolving into that work for well over a decade and it was finally time for me to be ready to hold the energy that was meant to come to me through offering medicine readings Mm -hmm. yeah and so when you talked about when you got a little woo-woo and mm-hmm. you got the download from the universe mm-hmm. were you meditating is that when it came to you mm-hmm. in meditation mm-hmm. yeah and just like asking what do you want me to do if i'm being totally honest closing my yoga studio and my healing center was a very difficult time for me it was it was very very hard and 
I just wanted to do anything else except for healing work. Like, I, <laughs> like any, I would do anything else. Like, I even got a job um, hostessing again mm-hmm. at a restaurant. And, like, just, uh, I'll just stand here. I'll move tables around. And I'll, I'll, I won't think about all the energy that I'm feeling in the restaurant. And I'll just be a normal person. And it was like I got my butt kicked, of course, with doing that. And... I realized, like, this is truly the only thing I'm meant to do and also the only thing that I can do. And so I just, in my meditation, was like, okay, universe, what do you want to do through me? Like, I surrender, basically. So not desire-based, not result-based, but more just totally receptive. And then that's when it came through. I suspect that in your history, as you've tried to surrender and just allow yourself to serve and be used for greater good, that there have been other examples when the universe threw a version of a New York Times reporter on your path to say, you're on the right path. Yeah. (laughs) There's been so much of that. It's it's unbelievable. You know, there's been so much of that. I'll also get little tests, too. So I'll get, like, encouragement. Like, a lot of, like, yeah, keep going, you know? And then I'll get a lot of tests. Like, celebrity clients is a really good example. So, like, it's my personal choice to never talk about celebrities who come to see me, to never mention name job, none of that, because I feel like, for me personally, it feels like a little bit cloudy to do that. Well, celebrities, I feel it's kind of like money. It mm-hmm. has its own powers and energy. Yeah, like you could you you could totally use that as a way to have That's more people come. Yeah. But to me, it feels exploitative mm-hmm. to the human spirit that is coming, that is inside of this image that everybody knows. I more would like for them to feel just safe to come and know that nobody's going to know that they come. If they want to tell people that they come, that's a different thing. So I got, like, a a major publication reached out to me, and they were like, we want to do this big article on you, and we want you to talk about your celebrity clients, and I think just figuring that at this point there's probably some coming. And... I knew, I was like, okay, this is a test. (laughs) I know, like, because the the publication would be so good for me from a business sense, right? But what they're asking me to exchange in in trade for that does not feel right for me. It's a big no for me. And so I had to, like, pass the test and say no. And they never reached out again. (laughs) It was a deal breaker. But then did did something positive happen to you to say that was the right choice? Good for you? I mean, I I feel like I get so much of that. I know it's the right choice because there's more and more of that level of people who come and feel comfortable coming. I wanted to ask you some questions that make you seem more of a normal person rather than like this amazing healer. Do you have favorite TV shows or do you binge watch on any TV series? Okay, favorite kids show is Rania the Robber's Daughter. Okay, I don't know that one. Oh, it's so good. It's Great. so good. Yeah. Favorite TV show. 
There's not really a lot I'm liking out there right now, but I think that Two Dope Queens, it's an HBO special. I I love it. (laughs) I think it's... What is it about? It's just these two girls that are up on stage and they bring on like stand-up comedians, but I would want to be best friends with them. That's definitely like new, my new favorite show for sure. Yeah. What's your favorite song? Ooh, this is such a tough question. <laughs> you can name a few. I I really love and have always loved Ani DeFranco. Anything by Ani DeFranco. Anything by Jim Croce. I think Bob Dylan. She belongs to me. It would be my favorite one. Yeah. Favorite book. Oh my, you're really asking me some tough ones. Um, do you read a lot? I do, yeah. Fiction or nonfiction? I'm more of a nonfiction mm-hmm. person. But what do you for... like about nonfiction? My, my, my 11-year-old asked me because she loves fiction. Yeah. I find nonfiction so fascinating. Yeah, I just love to learn. Like, I feel I still have so much to learn, and I, I love to learn. But fiction... I guess rather than favorite book, like maybe a recent book that you couldn't stop thinking about. The Hidden Wisdom of Nature. Yeah. It's really good. I'm forgetting the author, but it's it's really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Favorite junk food? Ooh. Chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah. And last question. What is something about you that would be surprising? Hmm. I, I think how spicy I actually am <laughs> would be surprising for people. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and what do you mean by spicy? Yeah, I so I feel like anyone who knows me well, like really close friends or family members, my husband, my daughter, they all know like I'm just I'm spi- I'm a spicy person. Like I just like I was explaining before, I have a lot of energy. But the reason why I'm so like kind of calm, calm seeming is because I have no problem with confrontation. Like, mm-hmm. I, if I have to tell somebody something, instead of letting it eat away at me, I'll just I'll talk to people. I'll tell people how I'm feeling. I'll give you a really good example of spicy, okay? <laughs> In the beginning of our relationship, you know, my, husband, husband? my husband and I are both kind of like, we know what we want to do people like he you know he's leo i'm scorpio like we are both kind of stubborn people right and there was a little bit in the beginning of our relationship of us trying to like force our will on each other and like kind of see who's the dominant one Mm -hmm. in the relationship we were we didn't realize we were both like incredibly dominant you know (laughs) so we were we were in the house and i was just like putting stuff away and i remember he was like non-stop trying to tell me what to do about something and I was just like oh and I hissed at him (laughs) and what was his reaction (laughs) (laughs) he was shocked there was so much like babbling coming from him and then I hissed at him and he was just like (laughs) he was like did you just hiss at me (laughs) have you done that since then um, no, I just had to do it that one time. I might try that on my daughters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it gets very noisy, I'll try hissing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good example of spicy. 
Great. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I love just being able to spend time with you. Same here. Yeah, it's I'm glad we got to do this. Treat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For two busy working moms to come yeah. together and be able to spend time. I, I really appreciate you existing in the world. Thank you. Yeah. I feel the same of you. Thanks for listening. Podcast show notes can be found at my website at nontoxicliving.tips. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast. And if you'd like to support it, then please like it and share it. Until next time.